Hello, my name is Ken Birch, Executive Director of the Council of Institutional Investors, and uh, the podcast today we are talking with Charles Elson, who is the Willard Chair in Corporate Governance and the Director of the Weinberg Center for Corporate Governance at the University of Delaware. He, uh, aside from being a uh, distinguished professor of law and practitioner, he's been a board member on a number of boards over the years, and we are going to talk about the rise of non-voting share classes and, and perhaps a little bit more broadly on dual class and are there implications for the directors who may choose to be on such boards and for the business judgment rule under under Delaware law? So, Charles, I'm just going to throw it to you to talk a little bit about some of the concerns or thoughts that you've been raising. Thanks. Uh, always good to be with you. This is an important topic, I think. You know, in this uh, in the area of non-voting stock, most of the conversation has focused on should these shares be traded or, or, or should they be listed on indexes and therefore be uh, held by large institutional investors? And the institutions are concerned because if they don't have a vote, they can't effectuate their concerns with the company, can't make their voices known with no vote, but they have to own them because they happen to be in, in an index. And the fight uh, of late has been to, to keep them out of the index and therefore they don't have to own them. But I think there's sort of an interesting side issue that really no one's focused on that frankly is important not to the institutions but would be important to the directors of these companies themselves. And it has to do with something called the business judgment rule. Historically, and in most, not all public companies, under Delaware law and the law of most other states, if a director makes a decision that turns out badly, a court will not second-guess the director's business judgment. The judgment is protected. The process by which the director reaches a decision is reviewed by a court, but the actual decision itself isn't looked into. And the idea that historically, in giving that kind of protection to a director, is that you want good people to serve on boards and you want people to take risks, some reasoned risk, but risks. And the judgment will not be interfered with. And traditionally, the explanation has been, number one, courts aren't business people. They're not in the boardroom. How do they know any better what uh, the right business decision is? And secondly, this is the important point, that if ultimately a shareholder is unhappy with what a director has decided to do with a director's business judgment, in a particular instance, the shareholder can always vote them out like the political system. Uh, you may not like what uh, your person does in Congress, but ultimately you have the real say in saying goodbye. And the theory was in the corporate setting, same thing, that we are light on reviewing someone's business judgment because A, we're not very good at it, and B, shareholders always have the right to remove someone who acts in a way that they did with which they disagree. But in non-voting stock, that completely disappears. If you have no vote, you can't remove someone who's made a bad decision. And that's going to create, a, I think, a very different view of director behavior and the uh, review of director's business judgments from the Delaware courts. Because if there's no safety valve of voting in these companies, you know, what will the court's role be? The court uh, has to review director behavior because directors have uh, fiduciary duties, duty of care, duty of loyalty. Again, typically they've stayed away from reviewing business judgments because of the election process. But without an election, I think it, it, the court will be uh, in a position that will, will be forced to review a business judgment because if they don't review it, who will? <laughs> if you remove the shareholders from the equation, uh, there's really no one left but the courts. And I think that uh, you will see a tougher judicial review 
of director action uh, in these companies than you would otherwise. Whether it's something we call an entire fairness or something else, I think that for a director, independent director of one of these companies, it's rather daunting because rather than having simply the shareholders review what you're doing, you're going to have a court. And I think that has potentially a lot more problems for you as a director. I think it's going to make it tougher to get legitimate folks to serve on those kinds of boards who fear that kind of litigation. That's really interesting. To what extent do these questions get raised at more traditional dual class structures where, you know, it's 10 votes per share, or in some cases, um, there are different classes of shareholders get to elect different numbers of directors with with the insider, the the controlling party typically controlling, you know, 75% and maybe three directors elected by the minority. Are there similar implications for other structures or not? Well, in the other structures, you know, you, you do see enhanced judicial scrutiny. I mean, their business judgment rule is alive in those companies, but there are certain things you'll see, uh, for instance, the context of mergers and whatnot, where special committees have to be formed uh, of directors sort of walling off the interested directors. But the courts really haven't grappled with the idea of not just limited control by the investors, but no involvement whatsoever. And I think that that when you see that, that's a little bit different than, let's say, uh, a controlling shareholder running the show. At least there's some voice from the shareholders. These are companies with no voice at all. But my gut would guess would be that if suddenly you look at companies with no voice and you sort of change your way of reviewing director behavior, it will have to leach into the controlled company review as well because a controlled company, effectively a director, though elected by have, with some votes from the other shareholders is the uh, a designee, if you will, the controlling shareholder. And that puts certain pressures on the person because the controlling shareholder, if they don't like what the person has done, can remove them. In the case of where there's no shareholder votes at all, that's an easier thing to do. And my suspicion is the courts will become tougher on those sorts of directors than they have been in the past and because of this, I think, the idea of the no voting stock. So SNAP is a Delaware corporation. This is an entirely unfair question to ask you, but do you, do you, would you guess that the, the directors are at all aware of this kind of risk? I don't know. I mean, I, it, when this first appeared of non-voting stock, when people started talking about it, the concern vis-a-vis the institutions not having the uh, weight they traditionally will have in other companies, uh, I began sort of thinking about, gee, I wonder how that affects directors. And uh, I raised it at a conference we did here when it had just happened, uh, back in March, and uh, I think I took my fellow panelists, including some fellow Delaware, uh, former Delaware judges, by surprise. Uh, and if I took them by surprise, and obviously I took myself by surprise too, I don't think it's something that's been greatly discussed. Uh, again, the implications for a director on one of those boards is quite concerning because if suddenly you are now uh, – the business judgment rule is diluted even a little bit – it means the sort of second guessing that courts will do following a disappointment, let's say disappointing decision, should make someone quite nervous. Even if they're not found liable, the fact that they could be in litigation for a while, I don't think is a very pleasant thing. And I think that's going to be a, something that will have to weigh on directors in those kinds of companies. Remember, even though those companies have no voting, you know, there's no vote by the other shareholders. And theoretically, you know, I guess you, your, your shareholder meetings uh, are rather different than ones where you have voting by the, the other shareholders. I think you still have to have independent directors. If you're traded on national exchanges, you still have to have independent directors on audit and on compensation committees. Uh, and, and the question is, 
who wants to put themselves in that position. And that's going to be very interesting. There's always, obviously, a, a, a number of directors who serve in control on, in controlled settings, and they will emphasize publicly their independence and whatnot. But it's a very tough position to be in. And if you're in a as director of a non-voting company, uh, I think that makes it even more difficult, and will put additional pressure on the courts to be much more uh, not careful, but much more active in their review. And honestly, I think that'd be a very tough place to be for an independent director, reputationally and practically. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Charles. That's a really, I think, very interesting approach and thought about about these issues. And I appreciate you talking with us today. Always happy to be uh, be working with you, Ken.